What is up, everybody? JT Sports here. Back to you guys with another episode of the JT Sports Podcast. On this episode, we're going to be talking about Teddy Bridgewater calling out NFL players for acting gangster. Will Georgia football repeat as national champions this college football season? And can Florida State upset LSU week one? If this is your first time listening to the JT Sports Podcast, welcome. I appreciate you for tuning in. Make sure that you follow me on all of my social media platforms. You can follow me on Twitter at JT Sports underscore underscore and on Instagram at JT Sports underscore. Lastly, if you haven't already, make sure that you are subscribed to my YouTube channel, which is JT Sports. You know, Teddy Bridgewater is somebody who I have always had a lot of admiration and respect for. Not for who he is as a football player, but for who he is as a person. Now, he recently reposted a status on his Instagram page that he made on Facebook calling out NFL players who tried to portray themselves as gangsters. Now, in this status, he said, Tired of seeing football players portray this tough guy image or pretend he's a gangster. You went to school, attended those classes, and some even got their college degree. Now, you might have 1.5% of professional football players that's on that, but the remaining 98.5% are only football tough. So don't wait till you inherit this legal money from the league to decide you want to be tough or portray a street image because it's kids that's looking up to everything we do. Plus, it's someone sitting in a cell or posting in the hood who might have been just as hood as you that would have advised you otherwise. Kids, don't be fooled. You can play ball, do the right thing, and they still going to accept you. Look at me. I'm far from perfect, but I chose the ball route. But I can still go to the hood and post up, and it's all love. I still keep the same three dudes around me. My people accept me for making all the right decisions and not falling victim or being tricked by the false image you see on IG from a lot of ball players. Choose your path can't do both and you see Teddy Bridgewater is doing nothing but speaking a hundred percent facts this is somebody who grew up in the roughest part of Miami who could have easily fought victim to the streets and been another statistic but he chose to take the other route and you see there are a lot of people growing up in my generation who feel like they have to portray themselves in a certain image in a certain way, act like the hood, act like they're gangster, because they feel that's the only way they can get the respect of their peers. And it's the same thing for professional athletes. Every time they get harsh criticism from fans or they get trolled, they always got to say, man, meet me in real life. It makes no sense. You're a professional athlete. I understand that professional athletes are human, but at the same time, trying to portray yourself as a gangster is not going to make people scared of you. As a matter of fact, it's going to invite people to try to test you more to get a reaction out of you because everybody knows that if you're going back and forth with somebody on the internet, 99.9% of the time, they wouldn't say it to your face. So there's no reason to try to portray yourself to act a certain kind of way because you're just going to do the complete opposite of what your intentions were. A lot of NFL players feel like if they portray themselves to be this gangster or tough guy, that less people are going to try them. And instead, more people are more likely to try you because they want to test you. They want to see if you actually are going to stand on what you try to throw out there, the image that you try to portray yourself as. And 
there's a lot of kids in my generation who grow up and they listen to all of the new rap music, the Lil Dirks of the world, the King Vons of the world, the NBA Young Boys, and they get easily influenced to thinking that they have to go out here and drill to get respect of their peers. I remember growing up in high school, right? Every time I was around some females, there will always be a couple of boys who come along who always got to try to act like they're on that, be like, oh, yeah, man, like I just caught a body. And then they want to play fight. They want to try to act tough just to impress females. And that's really what this is. A lot of people who try to portray themselves as being a tough guy or a gangster, they do this because they think that one is going to make them even more popular. Two, they try to do it to fit in with a crowd that they probably shouldn't be trying to fit in with anyway. And three, they do it because they think that more people are going to respect them. And more people respect you when you actually are the person that you are. People don't respect you for the person that you try to be. And it's a lot easier to actually be something that you are versus being something that you're not. You see, it's crazy nowadays because... I remember growing up, you know, a lot of people who were really in the streets and stuff like that, they did it because it was the only thing they had. It's the only thing they knew. Nowadays, you have kids who want to get involved in the street life, even though they come from families that make a good income. And yet they still want to get involved because they feel it's the only way they can get accepted by their peers. If you have to change who you are to be accepted by a group of people, then you probably shouldn't be hanging around those group of people because you should be hanging around people who like you for you. You shouldn't have to risk your life and risk your freedom to impress people just for a little bit of fame and clout. Because nine times out of 10, nobody really cares at the end of the day. You feel me? So what Teddy Bridgewater is saying really resonates me because I grew up in Jacksonville for the majority of my life. I've been in some really tough neighborhoods, some really sticky situations where I easily could have found myself in trouble. And there's been people that I've had to distance myself from because we just had different ways that we wanted our life to go. I've had a lot of friends who I lost. I lost, what, 12, 13 friends to gang violence, street violence, some who were heavily involved and some who were innocent. But at the end of the day, they still accepted me for me. And part of being an adult and part of maturing is being able to realize that, hey, I don't have to change who I am to fit in with people. You see a lot of people who try to act like something that they're not, they do it because they're not comfortable in their own skin. When you're comfortable in your own skin and you're comfortable with who you are as a person, then it doesn't matter what other people think of you. You do what's best for you. At the end of the day, nobody else can live your life for you but you. So that means that regardless, if a group of people don't want to hang around you because you're not the gangster that they are or anything like that, that's fine because at the end of the day, who wants to be having their life in danger 24-7, having to always be on high alert because they have ops looking for them? You get what I'm saying? Like, I never really understand why so many people are thrilled with the street life. All that you get out of it is either going to jail or getting killed at a young age. You get what I'm saying? So for Teddy Bridgewater, what he's saying is really gospel. And I feel like a lot of people, especially in my generation, need to hear this message because there are a lot of people who are getting into a lot of illegal activities and getting into the streets and trying to portray themselves to be a certain way and then they end up getting in trouble for it and you see 
it's more to life than just trying to pr- to please people. You feel me? Life is a lot easier when you're around people who legitimately accept you for you. Teddy Bridgewater is a good example of that. He's still around the same three people because they accept him for who he is. You want to know why Teddy Bridgewater can go back to the same hood he grew up at and give out toys and give back to the community? Because people appreciate him for the person that he became. People appreciated him for the fact that he was able to rise above the current environment that he grew up in a lot of people say you're a product of your environment and that's not entirely true you're only a product of your environment if you allow yourself to be a product of your environment just because you grew up in a tough neighborhood full of nothing but crackheads and dope fiends doesn't mean that you have to grow up and be a crackhead and dope fiend yourself you see there's a point in life when i was stuck You feel me? I didn't really know who I was because I was hanging around a group of people who were acting this kind of way. But at the same time, I was with another group of people who were acting a different kind of way. And I ended up just having to distance myself from the people who just wanted to be attracted to that lifestyle because I got to a point when I got tired of going to funerals. You get what I'm saying? I got tired of waking up every day and being scared to check Instagram because I was afraid of seeing another one of my childhood friends end up being on the news, being another victim to violence in the streets. You feel me? It, it really wears you down as a person. And, you know, I had to mature at a very young age. You feel me? This happened junior year, man. I was in the middle of junior year, man. And at this point, I had lost, what, eight friends up to this point. And, you know, I started to change. You know, I was really hurt. It was a point when I was like, dang, like, am I going to be the next person? Am I going to end up being the next statistic? But you know what I had to do? I had to reinvent myself. I had to say, you know what, JT, for me to become the person that I know I'm capable of being able to become, I have to distance myself. I have to be able to be comfortable with the fact that, yeah, people may not accept me for who I am if I choose to break off from these group of individuals. But at the same time, at the end of the day, if I'm trying to get to a certain place in life, I'm not going to be able to do that if I'm around people who may set me up to get killed one day. You feel me? It's just a mindset thing. And a lot of people who try to act tough, they're really insecure about themselves. You see, you have to be comfortable with who you are as a person to understand that not everybody is going to like you for who you are and what you stand for. But at the end of the day, when you end up making it out and you end up reaching a level of success, being able to overcome those certain obstacles that you grew up with, everybody most of the time is going to end up respecting you because at the end of the day, the goal is to make it out. The goal isn't to go back to the hood. The goal isn't to die in the hood. The goal is to level up, make it out and move on. The only time you should be going back to that place is when you're trying to give back to the community. And even then, even that's a dangerous task. So I just feel like nowadays there are more athletes trying to live this rapper lifestyle and trying to portray this gangster image versus just being the role model for the kids. You're supposed to be showing kids that it doesn't matter where you came from or how bad your situation is right now. You can still make it out and you can still be successful. You shouldn't be encouraging kids to stay in the street and betray this image because regardless of what we believe, there are young children who look up to these athletes as role models. And you know, as parents, You got to do a better job of teaching your children, hey, these are individuals who have their own lives. They make mistakes, and at the end of the day, you have to teach them to do the right thing. You have to teach them to make the right decisions. You have to teach them to 
learn the difference between what they see on the internet and what actually is going on. And you see a lot of people can't distinguish this. They think that they see somebody acting this way on Instagram, so that's actually who they are, and it's far from the truth because a lot of people put on the front for the camera. So I really like the message that Teddy Bridgewater is sending in this post. And I think that there are more athletes who need to send this message versus just sending the message that they got to be tough and you got to be gangster to earn respect. Because the majority of the people in this world who get respect aren't the people who portray themselves as tough guys and gangsters. They walk in a room and people automatically respect them, not because of how they act, but because of what they have accomplished and what they have achieved. And you don't achieve that by being something that you're not. For you to be successful, you have to be comfortable in your own skin. And a lot of people don't know that means but being comfortable in your own skin means that you accept yourself for who you are and you're not changing for nobody you don't have to change yourself in a way for people to accept you you either walk in the room and you fit in with that group of people or you don't and if you don't you just walk away and go to another group of people who accept you for the person that you are and you see a lot of people are just easily influenced a lot of people can't A lot of people can't live without being liked in a sense. A lot of people have to be popular. A lot of people got to have a lot of friends. A lot of people got to do whatever it takes to be accepted. And that's how you end up running into not only a dangerous lifestyle all the time, but that's how you end up being unhappy. Because if you end up constantly having to change who you are to be accepted about a group of people, that means that you can't be yourself around these particular group of individuals. And it ends up leading you down a path where you end up being depressed, unhappy, because you never know if people actually really like you for you or the person that you pretend to be. You feel me? So it's better off to be yourself because you end up being more happier that way. And at the end of the day, who wants to end up being in the streets anyway? I I really I don't really understand this generation, man. I really don't like. I understand everybody wants to be a thug. Everybody wants to be an individual that commands respect, but it's different when you're able to command respect by just being who you are. You don't have to be a tough guy or a gangster to stand up for yourself. It's a difference between standing up for yourself and acting a certain kind of way because you think people won't mess with you. There are plenty of rappers who get tested every day simply for the fact that they portray themselves as this big gangster image. You feel me? And they may not tell you, but behind the scenes, it weighs down on them. You, I'm pretty sure Lil Dirk, almost every single day, gets trolled every single day. I know you guys see the comments, slide for King Von, slide for King Von. And for those of you guys who don't know who Lil Durk is, he's a very popular rapper that's hot right now. And he was pretty much best friends with this rapper named King Von. And King Von ended up passing away a couple of months, uh, well, a couple of years ago, right? And now everybody keeps telling him to slide for Von, slide for Von, because of this image that he has portrayed. And now... Behind the scenes, I'm pretty sure that that weighs on Lord Dirk's conscience. I'm pretty sure that if Lord Dirk wasn't affected by this, he wouldn't make several songs calling out trolls and fans for telling him to slide. You feel me? So this makes him feel a certain kind of way. And he may not own up to it and fess up to it, but let's be honest, it affects him. I would love to be able to go on Instagram and not get trolled by millions of people trying to slide, trying to tell me to slide, to slide to keep up this image. You feel me? Once you move out the hood, your main priority should be, okay, I've moved out. It's time for me to move on. You feel me? 
aren't trying to level up in life. How can you level up in life if you continue to be something that you're not? If you always have to put on this mask and this face fake, this fake face, then how are you truly going to be happy? How can you truly be happy with being something that you pretend to be versus being something that you actually are? You see, Teddy Bridgewater is a great role model for young adults. And not just young adults, but for young children who need hope. There was a lot of times when I was there, along with a couple of other friends, and we felt like, you know, we were going to go down a path where we was going to end up being dead or in jail. But at the end of the day, tough times build character. Tough times is what makes us who we are. And at the end of the day, we was able to overcome those obstacles, and we ended up not being another statistic. We ended up not being another product of our environment. And a lot of African-American people, you know, I don't want to make this about race, but oftentimes we like to use the the narrative that white people are killing us. They set us up to kill each other. That's not entirely true. At the end of the day, we are still responsible for our actions. We are still responsible for what we do. You feel me? So for Teddy Bridgewater calling out these NFL players that portray themselves as a certain image, I, I love it. You feel me? Because I get tired of going on social media. That's why I'm not a social media person because everybody on social media can be whatever they want to. When you get on social media, there's a lot of people who end up pretending to be something they're not. It's like Hollywood. You feel me? You go on Instagram, nobody struggles, everybody's happy, everybody has money, nobody has no problems, everybody's perfect on social media. But if you actually look at the person behind the screen, that's who they really are. What you are in real life is who you are as an individual. You feel me? So I don't understand how people can live every day portraying to be something that they're not portraying this image. Because the more you pretend, the harder it gets to pretend. The more you lie, the harder it is to keep up lying because you have to come up with more lies and more lies. And when you betray this tough guy image, eventually somebody's going to come up to you and they're going to put you in a situation where you either got to choose to either keep that image going and end up maybe being locked up and losing the freedom for the rest of your life, or you end up getting embarrassed, losing a lot of respect, because then people will see you for who you are, a phony. So let me know what you guys think about Teddy Bridgewater calling out NFL players who try to portray themselves as these tough guys or these gangsters down in the comment section down below. So last night I was on the game with a couple of the homies, and one of them, who happens to be a Georgia fan, asked me the question, JT, do you think that the Georgia Bulldogs will repeat as national champions this season? Now, that is a very good question. And to be honest with you, I didn't even think about it until he brought it up. Because Georgia lost a lot of talent from last year's championship team. But even though they did lose a lot of talent, Georgia happens to be a football factory. They lose great players, and they replace them with more great players. It's kind of like they have a conveyor belt. They bring in these highly touted high school recruits. They put them on a little conveyor belt. They build them. They mold them into elite-level players, and then they ship them off to the NFL. So for Georgia, I think they are still one of the most talented teams in college football. If you were to ask me to give you my top three, top four most talented teams heading into this season— Georgia probably will be third behind Alabama and Ohio State. And honestly, you kind of have to reword this question. Because the question 
pretty much isn't will georgia be able to repeat as national champions it probably should be worded will georgia be able to defeat alabama this season because we already know that georgia most likely is going to run through the sec east competition now we're hoping that maybe either kentucky or tennessee can push georgia this year maybe pull off the upset but by judging the talent gap between Georgia and the rest of the SEC East division is still a very large gap. And even judging Georgia and Alabama compared to the rest of the SEC, it's not even a close race. So for Georgia, I think that this team offensively could be better than what they were last season. And the reason why I say that is because I really like their wide receiver room. You got A.D. Mitchell, who I think is their most talented wide receiver. You got Lab McConkey. You also have Kiaris Jackson. So you also have a lot of good depth behind those guys as well. But what really has me excited about this offense is this tight end room. This is the best tight end room in college football. And this may be one of the best tight end rooms that we have seen in the history of college football. I mean, you have Brock Bowers, who was a freshman phenom last year. You got Arik Gilbert, who's like a hybrid tight end wide receiver, similar to Kyle Pitts. He's going to be a demon this year. If you don't really know who Arik Gilbert is, if you're a non-Georgia fan, I promise you, you're going to find out about him really quickly. So he transferred from LSU last offseason and then he went to Florida but then something ended up happening and then he ended up transferring to Georgia and then he didn't play last year due to off the field issues well he's back and looks like he's going to be fully ready to go this year he was really good during spring he caught a touchdown in the spring game as well so I'm so hyped about Arik Gilbert. I think that he is the new breed of the new kind of tight ends that are now starting to enter the game of football. Now, when you're judging the tight end position, you're looking for a tight end who not only is a good blocker, who not only is good as a tight end, but is also good as a wide receiver. So I love Arik Gilbert. I love his game. I think he's going to be a major part of Georgia's offense. You also have Darnell Washington. There aren't too many teams that still utilize tight ends. And there aren't too many teams in college football that have two or three very good ones. Outside of Georgia, probably Utah, but that's about it. So I think that the tight end group really is what has me so excited about this offense. And of course, Georgia has the best offensive line in college football this year. I mean, they're absolutely loaded on the offensive line. Now, at running back, you did lose James Cook and Zamir White. But Kenny McIntosh is going to end up filling in. I think that he's a pretty good all-around back. You also have Kendall Milton, who probably will be right behind him. So for Georgia, when it comes to the offensive line and the skill position group, I think you potentially could be better in that department this season compared to last year. Now, of course, the biggest question is going to be Sir Stetson. And for those of you guys who are new to the podcast who don't know who Sir Stetson is, It's Stetson Bennett. And a couple of months ago, I said that if Stetson Bennett leads Georgia to a national championship win over Alabama, I'm going to put respect on his name, and he is no longer going to be called Stetson Bennett on the channel. His new name is Sir Stetson. They're going to make a movie about Stetson Bennett, Disney is, in the next couple of decades, and the title is going to be called Sir Stetson. And I kind of feel like not enough people are still putting respect on Stetson Bennett's name. 
And even Kirby Smart feels this way. Anytime somebody asks Kirby Smart a question about Sir Stetson, he gets really fired up and he gets really passionate because Kirby Smart loves Sir Stetson. He believes in Sir Stetson. And why why wouldn't you believe in Sir Stetson? He led you to a national championship. Now, the narrative that, you know, he got carried by the team around him, I can understand that. But at the same time, let's not act as if Sir Stetson didn't do anything at all. It's not like the guy threw zero touchdowns and zero passing yards. You feel me? He had a factor. He played a large part of that. He has pretty good accuracy. He may not have a strong arm, but he's a pretty good athlete, a way better athlete than what a lot of people give him credit for. Like, there are some really good traits in Stetson Bennett's game. Now, is he going to end up being a first-round pick in the NFL? Most likely not, but Stetson Bennett is a really good college quarterback. He may not be a superstar like a Bryce Young or a C.J. Stroud, and he may not be the most flashiest like a Hendon Hooker or or Will Levis, but he gets the job done. He reminds me a lot of A.J. McCarron in a sense. You remember A.J. McCarron back in the early 2010s? He wasn't flashy. He didn't have the greatest arm. He wasn't even as good as an athlete as Stetson Bennett was. But since Alabama has such a good team around them, all they really needed A.J. McCarron to do was to, you know, take care of the football and make big throws when needed. And that's what Sir Stetson did it last season. In the national championship game, he made a couple of big throws that kept Georgia alive in the game and eventually led them to winning the national title. So I think that Sir Stetson deserves a little bit more respect. And I consider him to be a top 25 quarterback in college football. So on defense, you know, this defense got absolutely rated by the NFL but you still do have a couple of great players on this defense who are potentially going to be first round picks Jalen Carter Jalen Carter could be better than Wyatt and J- and Jordan Davis Jalen Carter is an absolute monster we were freaking out when we saw Jordan Davis combined performance but Jalen Carter is more freaker of an athlete than both of those guys combined this is somebody that you kind of gave the super soldier serum to and you came out with the real life version of Captain America pretty much. And that's Jalen Carter. This dude is an absolute monster. And I don't know where Georgia finds these freakish defensive linemen, but Jalen Carter, mark my words, do not be surprised if he ends up being a top 10 pick next season. You also have Nolan Smith, Robert Bill, Keely Ringo also is one of the best cornerbacks in college football. He's also potentially going to be a first round pick in next year's draft as well as safety. Christopher Smith, Tyke Smith as well, who was a transfer from West Virginia last year, but he kind of has some injuries that he dealt with earlier on and it kind of is what held him back a little bit but overall you look at Georgia's team this is still one of the most talented teams in college football and their schedule isn't really all that tough they're out of conference they start week one against Oregon which we're going to talk about on the next episode of the podcast previewing that game but they should be able to handle business against Oregon even though they are going against Dan Lanning their former defensive coordinator but Outside of that, you play Sanford on the road against South Carolina. Always interesting to see Georgia matchup against South Carolina. South Carolina is a sneaky good team, but I don't think they're going to be able to pull off the upset this year. You got Kent State, Missouri, Auburn, 
Vanderbilt. Then you have the Florida-Georgia game, the world's largest cocktail party. Then you play Tennessee, Mississippi State, Kentucky, and then Georgia Tech to close off the season. So I don't really think that Georgia is going to lose any of those games. I do think that they could potentially be challenged by Tennessee. I don't really think Kentucky is going to be able to challenge Georgia the way I think Tennessee will, simply for the fact that I think Tennessee's offense is really unique. And I think that it's really difficult to game plan for simply for the fact that they tie you out so quickly and so fast. And I think with the fact that Hendon Hooker is just so good at taking care of the football, I think that Tennessee could be the only team I really see during this schedule for Georgia that could potentially pull off the upset and maybe Oregon because it is week one you know that's the best opportunity for upsets to happen but in terms of if they can get past Alabama this year I'm not going to say no you feel me I'm going to say I'm going to rate it on a scale of one through ten my confidence in Georgia's ability to get past Alabama this year because if they can get past Alabama without any doubt in my mind I think they're going to win a national championship but I probably would rate it a 6 out of 10. Because it's funny how Georgia had a historically good defense last season. And now it seems as if the roles are reversed because everybody expects Alabama's defense to be historically good this year with how stacked they are on the front seven and then the secondary. And also their offense got better as well. And remind you that Alabama wasn't that great as a matter of fact many people probably would tell you that that was one of the least talented teams that Nick Saban has had during his time at Alabama over the last decade and yet they still were able to get to the national championship game so for Georgia now you're facing an absolute juggernaut and you're facing a team that not only is stacked on defense but they're also stacked on offense so for me I gotta give them a six out of ten and the reason why I'm not gonna say no and the reason why I can't really say yes is because I'm not going to count out a team that still is top four, top five in the country when it comes to a talent standpoint. I don't think that Alabama is going to blow Georgia out of the water this year simply for the fact that Georgia is really good up front. And their offensive line is going to be super consistent. And they're also going to be really good in the trenches. And as long as you're really good up front, you should be able to compete with pretty much any team in college football. And I think that their offense has improved compared to where they were last year. And their offense wasn't bad last year. If you are thinking that I'm trying to say that Georgia's offense was bad, that's not my point. My point is that I think that this offense is more talented this season compared to what it was last year because I just think that with the addition of a Reed Gilbert and the fact that you have so much depth in town at wide receiver, I think this offense is going to be even better. And Stetson Bennett, a.k.a. Sir Stetson, excuse me, should improve. And Stetson Bennett is a hard worker. So I think that for Georgia, I think they have a chance this year. If they can beat Alabama, I think that they should be able to win a national championship game. Now, Ohio State is also pretty good as well. But I don't think that Ohio State and Georgia are all that far apart. As a matter of fact, I think that both of those two teams are just as talented are pretty much equals. If they were to play today, I think that Georgia probably would be the slight favorite over Ohio State by probably, what, one, maybe two points? If they were to do like the odds or point spread of that game on a neutral side field, Georgia most likely probably would be the favorite. But 
I like Georgia this year. I'm really big on Georgia. I think that Georgia, without a doubt, is going to win the East. And I think that they definitely should be in the running for competing in a spot in the college football playoffs this year. But as, but uh, as of course, of course, we judge Georgia based on where they stack up against Alabama. Because they're the two top dogs. So... For Alabama, I already said it earlier, they're on a revenge tour this year. They're looking for revenge. And I think they're going to blow out every single body they play by at least two touchdowns or more. However, I think when they play Georgia, it's kind of going to be the unstoppable object versus the immovable force. Because Georgia has a lot of freaks. And Alabama's offensive line, yes, it is going to be improved. However, it's still not set in stone who everybody is who's going to be starting on the offensive line. It's still a work in progress. So I think that Alabama definitely does have, you know, a little bit of weaknesses that Georgia could exploit this season. But when it comes to Georgia being able to repeat as national champions, I rate it on a scale of 1 through 10, a 6 out of 10. I think that they have a very good shot. It just can you get through Alabama. You feel me? And what if they don't have to play Alabama? That makes their chances even better. But let me know what you guys think. Do you guys think that Georgia will be able to repeat as national champions this upcoming college football season? I want to give my early thoughts and analysis on another week one matchup. We have Florida State taking on LSU. LSU currently at the moment is a three and a half point favorite going into this matchup. And let me ask you guys a question to start off. Which head coach do you think needs to win this game more? Brian Kelly is kicking off the start of his tenure as the head coach of LSU football. He has had a lot of success previously with Notre Dame. He took them to a BCS national championship. They also have appeared in the college football playoffs a couple of times under Brian Kelly. And Brian Kelly, over the course of this offseason, has pretty much came out and said that, listen, We have no interest in trying to rebuild and retool. We're trying to win right away. And it's been pretty evident with how aggressive LSU has been in the transfer portal. Then you have Mike Norvell, who is entering year three in his tenure with Florida State. And he has pretty much taken the slow and steady approach. And I think for Mike Norvell, I feel he needs to win this game a little bit more than what Brian Kelly does. And for several reasons. The first one being that LSU is pretty talented on paper. Okay, LSU should at least be able to win no less than six games. However, you look at Florida State and you look at their roster on paper, doesn't really look all that great. You still have concerns about how good the offensive line is going to be, where's the pass rush going to come from with the loss of Jermaine Johnson, how's the secondary going to perform. So on paper, you don't really know how to properly judge Florida State. And another thing is that you look at Florida State's schedule, outside of their Week 0 matchup against Duquesne, there's not really another game after that that you can say, okay, JT, like I have full confidence that FSU is going to be able to win this matchup. And pretty much when you go through the whole entire FSU schedule, every game pretty much is a toss-up. It can go either way. So for Mike Norvell, a win here would be huge because we're going off the assumption that FSU handles business against Duquesne and they don't have another Jacksonville State nightmare. And if they're able to win this game, they go into their bye week before they enter conference play. 
And then after that, they go on the road and face Louisville. So if you can get off to a 2-0 start, I think that that would be huge for FSU moving forward for this season. Because this is a program that right now, they need some juice. They need something to be excited about. And what would be a better way to start off the season than upsetting LSU? Because although oddsmakers right now have LSU as a three and a half point favorite, ESPN thinks that LSU has a 71% chance of winning this game. And the majority of people that I have talked to feel that LSU is going to win this game and they're going to win it convincingly. But for LSU, I do have a couple of questions, okay? We don't know who's going to be starting at quarterback. Now, according to multiple reports out there, many people believe that Gunnar Nussmeyer is in the driver's seat. Now, Gunnar Nussmeyer has appeared in a few games for LSU, and he has had a really good spring. He's been raved about from coaches, teammates, so many people believe that he's going to end up getting the nod for being the starter at quarterback in this game. And if he does, he has a really good group of wide receivers that he's going to be throwing to. We're going to get into that a little bit later. But for FSU, their offensive line struggled last season. How improved is their old line going to be in this game? And you can say the same for LSU. Now, the difference between LSU's offensive line and Florida State's offensive line is that I think it's fair to say that LSU has way more talent on the offensive line compared to Florida State. They have hit the transfer portal really hard. They have a lot of talented guys in that offensive line room. And it's really about them trying to find the right combination. So in this game, are they going to start off with the right group of starters? Or are they still going to have to continue to make some adjustments on the fly as we progress throughout the season to try to find the best offensive line combination possible? Meanwhile, you look at FSU, and if you were to ask me, JT, which team do you think has the more favorable matchup on the offensive line, I think it has to be LSU because FSU's offensive line is going to be tested in a big way in this game. Because LSU has some dogs on that defensive line. You got Mason Smith, Ali Gay, BJ Orgelari. So for LSU, on the other hand, you're facing a Florida State team that doesn't really know who their number one pass rusher is going to be. And if you're a Seminoles fan, you don't even know really how great the pass rush is going to be this year because your two leading pass rushers from last season are gone. Jermaine Johnson, he's with the New York Jets. Garrett Thomas, he's gone as well. So you're hoping that Derek McClendon can end up having a breakout year. This is somebody who had three and a half sacks last year. But outside of him, you don't really know where your pass rush is going to come from. So I think that LSU has a more favorable matchup when you look at their offensive line going against the FSU defensive line. Meanwhile, LSU's offensive line... We're going to find just how good they are right away in this game because LSU's defensive line is a little bit underrated. And one of the most important aspects of this matchup, when you're talking about what Florida State has to do to pull off the upset, how efficient is Jordan Travis and the Florida State passing attack going to be in this game? For Jordan Travis, this is somebody who is a phenomenal athlete. We know what he can do when he decides to tuck the football and run. However, 
his accuracy has been a hindrance. And you're wondering just how much has he improved over the course of this offseason in that department. Because I believe that FSU can get to 8-9 wins this season if Jordan Travis takes that next step as the passer. Could we see that next step be shown in this game? Because the wide receiver position for Florida State, it really concerns me. And I do think that it is a pretty big mismatch, at least when you look at the talent that they have on paper compared to the talent that LSU has on paper when you look at their cornerbacks. Because I love LSU's cornerbacks. You have Makai Gardner, who is a transfer from the University of Louisiana. You have Jarek Bernard Converse, awesome name, by the way, transferred from Oklahoma State. He was pretty good last year. And you got Greg Brooks Jr., just to name a couple of key cornerbacks that I'm going to be having my eyes on in this matchup who potentially could be significant contributors for LSU this season. And you look at FSU's wide receiver room, who's going to be that guy who really emerges as the number one option in this passing attack? Because anytime you're trying to pull off an upset against a team that you perceive to have more talent than you, especially when you look at the defensive side of things, you got to have a wide receiver who you can look at and third down situations and say, okay, I trust him. Do you have a security blanket? Because if you do, that's also going to help Jordan Travis take that next step as a passer. And you look at Malik McLean, um, Michael Pittman, transfer from Oregon, the little brother of Michael Pittman, wide receiver for the Indianapolis Colts. You have Ja'Kai Douglas, Keyshawn Hilton, Johnny Wilson, and Ontario Wilson. But who really do you have confidence in as an FSU fan do you think could be that reliable option, that security blanket for Jordan Travis in this matchup? Because they're going to need to have one because this pass rush is going to be really good. And if this offensive line still is what it has been for over the last couple of years, then you're going to have to be able to make sure that you can get the ball out fast. And these wide receivers are going to have to be able to create that separation. But one thing that I think that FSU does have going for them. When you look at the passing matchup in this game, it's the fact that for LSU, they just got a bunch of guys from the transfer portal, right? And they're just kind of just throwing them in there, and they're just going to go with whoever ends up performing the best. And you're wondering, how good is the communication going to be? And that's always a big factor when you're looking at a head coach that's going into their first game with a new team. For Brian Kelly, how well prepared is he going to have this team? And I'm not questioning the fact that this team is going to come out, you know, flat or anything like that. But I'm wondering just, you know, is the communication going to be there? Is the chemistry going to be there? Because just because you get a lot of talented guys from the transfer portal and you have a lot of talent on your team doesn't mean it's going to mesh well right away. Because... When you're judging how good a secondary is, the majority of times, teams that have good secondaries not only just have the talent, but they also communicate very well in the back end. And I'm wondering if LSU is going to have some communication problems that maybe allows Florida State to have a couple of big plays in the passing game due to miscommunication and blown coverage assignments. And then for Florida State, is their offense going to be better 
converting in third down situations compared to last season because they had one of the worst third down offenses in America last year. And the reason for that was because the lackluster offensive line and the inefficiency as a passer that Jordan Travis has shown. And that's why it's so important that Jordan Travis takes that next step because if he improves as a passer, then the third down offense is going to improve as well in that department. Now, we have an extremely huge mismatch when it comes to the LSU wide receiver room versus the FSU secondary. And when I say huge mismatch, that may just be an understatement because we know that nobody is going to slow down Keyshawn Boutte. He's one of the best wide receivers in college football. Now, outside of Amarion Cooper and Jamie Robinson, who else in this FSU secondary do you trust to handle up in this game? Okay, I think that Amarion Cooper is going to be in for a breakout season. I think that he could end up being one of the best cornerbacks in the Atlantic Coast Conference. However, I don't really trust Florida State secondary in this game because, first of all, I don't know how good the pass rush is going to be. Second of all, if you have a pass rush that isn't great, it puts your cornerbacks in a more difficult situation because now they really have to be shut down because if you have that pass rush there, your cornerbacks don't have to be in coverage for all that long. So for FSU, this secondary is going to get tested in a big way. And really, I think your only hope as a Seminole fan is that maybe you can slow down Kayshawn Boutte due to the fact that, you know, maybe whoever ends up getting the nod at quarterback for LSU may end up coming out flat. Maybe Brian Kelly and his staff make the wrong decision when it comes to the starting quarterback. Maybe they have to make a change during halftime at quarterback. But if, let's say, Gunnar Nussmeyer gets a start and he comes out guns blazing on fire, then what's next? What, what's going to be the game plan on defense? So I'm really concerned about the FSU secondary in this game. Yes, they probably going to have some talented guys there, but do they have anybody capable of being able to slow down this wide receiver core that LSU has? Because the only way I see this wide receiving core being slowed down is if the quarterback position ends up coming out flat. But if it ends up coming out on fire, I think that this secondary could be in for a very long night. However, if you're a Seminoles fan, you're saying, okay, JT, what's our strengths on defense? Well, your run defense should be really good this year. LSU coaches, LSU coaches have been really excited about the linebacker position. Many of them have said that they feel that this is the best linebacker play that they are going to be receiving this year. In years, you have a lot of depth, a lot of talent in that linebacker room. You have Tatum Bethune transferred from UCF, Kalen Deloach, DJ Lundy, Omari Gaynor. This is a very talented group that has a lot of depth. And your defensive line, you have Robert Cooper, Fabian Lovett, who are really good or should be pretty good against the run. So the run defense should be pretty good. So if you can limit how effective the LSU run game is and you can put them in obvious passing situations, then that increases how much success you can have on defense. Because if LSU is in obvious passing situations and you get them into third and long, then that should increase your chances of being able to get your defense off the field. It's also worth noting that FSU last season, 
was really good at forcing turnovers. They averaged, what, 2.3 turnovers per game in their last three matchups. They were 21st in America last season and forced turnovers. So that's another thing that you're going to have on your side, that if you can keep up that same production when it comes to the forced turnover department, that's going to be another thing that's going to be on your side. And listen, I really think that Jordan Travis is really going to have his breakout year this year. And that's why I think that this game is going to be a lot closer than what a lot of people think. And honestly, even though LSU is the more talented team on paper, I kind of still lean FSU surprisingly. Because I really do have confidence that Jordan Travis is going to have this thing figured out. And I really think that he will take that next step as a passer. And when he does, this this LSU defense... Even though it is really good, I think when you have a quarterback who is just so dynamic with running the football, such as Jordan Travis, I think it really posed really difficult to slow him down. And then on top of that, you got to look at the fact that this is a brand new coaching staff. LSU fans, of course, are going to say, listen, JT, Brian Kelly has been around the game for a while. He's one of the best coaches in college football. Things are going to click right away. Are you sure that things are going to click right away? Because, of course, if you're an LSU fan, you're going to be overly optimistic or you're going to have the optimistic approach. You're going to say, yes, JT, like things are going to work out for us. Brian Kelly's going to have these guys prepared. We're not going to have no issues. But this is week one, okay? Issues are always going to arise. The best chance for an upset is the first game of the season because you haven't really been playing against nobody but yourself. So we don't really know just how well-oiled this LSU team is going to be. Are they going to come out fully well-organized? Are they going to have great chemistry, great communication? Those are always the things that you have to look at when you have a brand-new coaching staff. And another thing that FSU has in their favor is that you have a tune-up game before this. You get to play Duquesne, so you get to work out all of the lumps and kinks that you had before you go into this matchup. So you go into this matchup, already a little bit more prepared than LSU simply for the fact that you had some in-game action. You got to see what your weaknesses were. Hopefully you can get them addressed and maybe improve them slightly before this matchup. So even though I still think that LSU wins this game, I still think that I'm a little bit on the fence on it. You feel me? Because if LSU comes out and they end up not really having no communication problems, and the fact that they have a new coaching staff that's able to have them prepared for this game, I think that LSU should win this game pretty handily, at least by 10 points. However, if this coaching staff and this team aren't really gelling right away, I think it's going to allow FSU the chance at pulling off the upset. So, Let me know who you guys have winning this game. Do you guys think that FSU can pull off the upset? Is LSU going to come into this game and just blow Florida State out of the water? Because that's been what the popular narrative has been when I've talked to people about this game. They either think that FSU is going to win this game in a tightly contested matchup or LSU is going to win this game convincingly and it's not really going to be close. So 
Let me know your thoughts on this game down in the comment section down below. And I appreciate you guys for listening to this episode of the JT Sports Podcast. Remember that the JT Sports Podcast is available on all podcasting platforms, Apple Podcasts, Spotify Podcasts, Google Podcasts, wherever you get your podcasts from, the JT Sports Podcast is available.